add a new phrase. Just put a couple more phrases in there. It'd be less annoying. Anyway, I don't know if anybody else thought that way, but if not, I'm sorry. Now forever, you're going to think that. I just ruined it. I ruined half the hymn book right there. No, I was just joking. We got some. It's a, we have a tremendous hymn book. Over 800 hymns. Most of them we can sing because we're not heresy. Uh, we're really blessed. I mean, if you think about the early church and compared to uh, the music service that they would have had compared to what we have now, you know, we have a lot more tools and uh, avenues and instruments and money to buy instruments. It's kind of hard to buy a cello whenever you're running around for your life from the Romans and being hunted in caves. Like, no, my cello! <laughs> Not really important. This is a little more important than a cello. Anyway, we're in Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. Or a piano. That'd be really fun. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 5. Not only did we lose four of our deacons, but we also lost a piano because they were trying to transport it and they got caught. Anyway. <laughs> That's exciting. Oh, I don't think I... Wait, wait. I didn't turn this joker on. Is that what that was? They're like, hey, Nathan, wake up. Okay. I'm on now. Something was on. Am I good? Should I go ahead? We can go back to talking about being chased with instruments if you want. <laughs> we good? All right. Ephesians 5, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Be therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. All right, the title of the message is Walk as Dear Children. Walk as Dear Children. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this time we are able to come out in the world and be assembled together to uh, sit under, sit under uh, your word. And uh, Lord, I pray that uh, tonight uh, that I might uh, portray the, the, the meaning of this passage clearly, um, that it would not um, uh, be for vainglory or, or just uh, me up here droning on, but Lord, it would be uh, what you would have for us to learn from this passage. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so a little background here. I did this in um, nursing home. I've been going through Ephesians. Um, so some of y'all in nursing home would know a little bit of this background, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a little background to where we are, who are the Ephesians. Um, so first of all, we're going to talk about a little geography. Just I like to know everything there is to know about something. So um, this kind of helps you understand who the Ephesians were, okay? So you have, um, I don't want to turn around, so I'll, I'll try to do this right. So you have Israel over here, and then you, you have the Mediterranean Sea. And up from the uh, Israel, you have what we have, uh, what was called Asia Minor. Uh, we know it now as Turkey. Um, and then across the Aegean Sea from Turkey, you had Greece. And then there's another sea, I think it's the Sea of Tiberias, between Greece and Italy. 
Um, during the time of this, it was under the Roman Empire, um, Alexander uh, the Great and the, uh, the Greeks were taken over by the Romans. Um, but it's very interesting, um, the correlation between the Greeks and the Romans. We'll get to that in a minute. But so you have uh, Israel, Greece, I'm sorry, Israel, Turkey, Greece, Italy. Um, and Ephesus is uh, right in, it, in uh, Turkey. Okay, so you have Greece here, the Aegean Sea. Um, it kind of makes a little loop. You have the Black Sea up here, and then uh, Corinth and Sparta, all those places are in Greece. And then just across the, the pond is Ephesus, Thyatira. These are all uh, cities that, that are mentioned frequently in the Bible. Okay, So that's kind of where we are. We're not too far from Greece. Um, their religion, uh, they're polytheists. And this, this is very interesting. Um, the Greeks and the Roman gods were very similar. They had, they had different names, um, but this is really cool. I actually looked this up uh, on the Google. Um, but uh, the, Greek, the Greek gods all had a corresponding Roman god, uh, Zeus. The corresponding Roman god was Jupiter. He was the king of gods. Uh, Hera and Juno, they were the goddess of marriage. She was the goddess of marriage. Uh, Poseidon uh, was uh, the Roman name of Neptune, the god of the sea. There's a whole list. And in every god, every Greek god, there's a Roman corresponding god. So I don't know if the Romans were like, oh, hey, we like your gods, and we're just going to rename them all and say it's our own religion. I don't know how exactly that worked. But it's, it's very similar, very similar. Um, so they're polytheists. They're really messed up. Um, as, as far as understanding the truth uh, in their religion. Um, do I want to get into this? I have a bad habit of getting ahead of myself, so I just want to make sure I'm not getting ahead of myself. Yes, okay. Um, if you look at the, um, the history of the gods and um, their interaction with each other, pretty messed up stuff. Uh, you're talking uh, murders, rapes, thefts, just about everything in the Ten Commandments, all these guys were violating. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, can you imagine worshiping something that was more base and vile than you are? I mean, it's kind of messed up. So you can kind of understand if you're worshiping something that's vile, probably you're going to be vile too because normally you want to worship something that's higher and better than you. But these people were worshiping something that peop, things that were awful. Um, so just kind of a, give you an idea where they're coming from. Uh, the timeline of this, this uh, first time Paul comes through Ephesus is uh, about AD 52. And his first arrival, if you read there in Acts, uh, he, first time he comes through, he drops off Aquila and Priscilla. Um, there's a, there's a, they, they start evangelizing, um, and a couple people are saved. But Paul has a, something to get to at Jerusalem. So he leaves Priscilla and Aquila, like you, you keep... Uh, Bible study going on here at Ephesus. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'll be back. So he goes to Jerusalem. He comes back about AD 54. Two years later, um, I'm sorry, one year later, AD 53, he stays for two years. This is when uh, everybody knows the story of Demetrius and the silversmiths. They all get mad at Paul because he's there's so many people believing on the Lord that they're turning from the worship of Diana. That's when you have the big uproar in the theater, and they're all trying to kill Paul, and uh, big mess. Uh, so that's about AD 53. AD 54, a guy named Nero comes to power. Claudius dies. 
and Nero, he's the last of the Julian uh, uh, emperors, Julius Caesar. He's the last in that line, and he's also the, the worst of that line, the most godless, most Christian-hating emperor uh, that, that ever came to Rome at that time. So this, um, this guy comes to power in 54. It's believed, and all this is kind of sketchy because it's, um, you know, history manuscripts have been chased around and burned, and it's a big mess. But they think Paul was writing Ephesians around uh, AD 60, so, you know, six years later, he was, but he was in prison by this time. So they believe AD 60 until 65 or 67 when Paul was killed, somewhere in there he's writing, he's writing this um, epistle. It's also very interesting to notice when you, I think I think most of y'all are aware of this, but most of the epistles that Paul writes, he's writing from jail. Um, most of them are written during this time period of sixty to sixty-five. Paul, you, um, remember, Paul appeals to Caesar, which is I, I don't really understand that because if he knows it's Nero, everybody knew what Nero was like, and Nero was a very messed up uh, individual. To appeal to Caesar is is pretty crazy, but um, he does that, and I don't know if Paul knew that it was a death sentence. But even if he, you know, if he knew that it was a death sentence, it's it's an it's an amazing uh, feat to um, you know keep your focus where it needed to be. You know, I need to I need to be ministering to the churches, so I'm going to send them letters. I can't be there. I can't go minister them directly. So I'm gonna I'm gonna sit down and, and, and pen this letter under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. Um, so go, Paul. I mean. Doing what's right, even in jail. Let's talk about Nero a little bit. So we had uh, the geography. We've got about religion, the time period, AD 60, the government. So uh, the Roman and Greek culture, uh, again, like their gods, was very messed up. Um, they didn't believe polygamy was wrong. They didn't believe sodomy was wrong. Actually, sodomy was a lesser sin than adultery in Roman uh, culture. Um, Nero actually married a dude. Like he divorced his wife because she wasn't having children, and he married a guy. I mean, it just messed up stuff publicly. And that, that was really the first time where that an emperor had ever done that. But it was common. Sodomy was common. Um, prostitution was common. Um, it all depended on uh, who you were, what you could get away with. It was, it was much like uh, Nazi Germany with... Uh, Goebbels and all these people, you know, could get away with whatever they wanted with. Anybody that was close to the emperor um, could do whatever he wanted, basically. Um, it just, just a vile culture, and, and it was, it was everybody did it. Everybody um, just lived according to how they felt, whatever they felt was good, uh, whatever they felt like doing. I say all that to say this, um, in a lot of uh, Ephesus, a lot of the Ephesian writings, I'm sorry, a lot of the Ephesian writings, you see Paul uh, combating this schism in the church over Jews and Gentiles. This is where this stuff comes from. If you look at it from a Jewish perspective, you can kind of understand, you know, these are the people that, am I on over here or do I need to stay over there? Okay. If you look at, if you compare the Jews to the Gentiles, as far as culture goes, um, the Gentiles were pretty disgusting. Um, and you can see why the Jews, you know, the Jews had the, the, the law and the oracles and, and, and God, the, the uh, moral 
aspects of the law. And the Greeks and the, the Romans, they, they didn't really have any moral fiber to their culture. It was, it was really base and degrading. And, and so for um, you know, the early church, when you know, Paul goes to the Gentiles and, and Cornelius is getting saved, that's why you see a big stir in the, in the uh, churches at the church at Jerusalem uh, because they're like, these vile Gentiles are getting saved too? I mean, these people are messed up. I mean, they're nasty, horrible people. So you can kind of see why uh, the Jews are feeling this way. But if you look at the teaching of Jesus, even, you know, Jesus didn't really go to the Gentiles, but if you look at his teachings, he, he says uh, in Matthew nine thirteen, when the, uh, the, the Pharisees come to him and uh, they're mad at him because he's, he's dining with Levi, the tax collector. And uh, he says, um, those that are whole need not a physician, but those that are sick. And he says in verse 13, But go ye and learn what that meaneth, and I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am called to come, for I am come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In Romans 3.22, he, he um, uh, this is all, this is not Jesus, but um, it says, Even the righteous of God, which is by faith, righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. So again, Paul's saying there's no difference in the Jew and the Greek. We all come to Christ by faith. Uh, 10.12, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. This is tough for the Jews to swallow. Because again, like I said, the culture was very different. And the, and the, and the culture was very base. Um, but there's clear and direct commands uh, from God that, that there's no difference. I just want you to understand, when Paul comes to Ephesians 5 and he says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. He's not talking to a kid that's grown up in the Bible Belt and has and is, you know, not messed up his life and hasn't practiced all this moral degradation. He's talking to people that have been involved in this stuff. When you, when you read 1 Corinthians and he gives that list of people that are just vile people, it's like, these people were in the church of Corinth? Yeah, because that was the culture. That's what, that's what Paul was dealing with. What I want you to see is it doesn't matter. The standard for them is the same standard for us. We're supposed to be followers of God as dear children. So let's get into this um, a little bit. Uh, the first part. The first thing we're, we're to do is to follow God. Pretty simple, but it's hard. Like uh, Ronald Reagan always said, there's there are simple answers, simple answers. There's no easy answers. Um. So let's let's look at this. Uh, to follow, the word Greek word here, uh, to be follower, to be a follower, literally means to be an imitator um, of God. It's a tall order. Right. In order to follow uh, somebody, um, there, there's a couple things that have to take place. It's just common sense. This isn't in the passage, but just think with me here. Um, so we had to follow God. There are conditions. The conditions are, first of all, you've got to know where the leader is going. You've got to know where the leader is going. If, if uh, 
say I am following Andrew somewhere. Um, he he's going to go down to uh, Bass Pro and carry, and I'm supposed to follow him, but he doesn't tell me where he's going. But I'm supposed to follow him like 15 minutes later. How, how am I supposed to follow him to Bass Pro? I don't know where I'm going. Okay, uh, it, it's not helpful. I gotta know. I gotta know where where to follow him. Pretty simple. Second condition is we have to agree with the leader. If he wants to go to Bass Pro Shop and I want to go to Gander Mountain, which is closed, which would be weird. I don't know why I want to go there, but um, if I want to go to Gander Mountain or uh, Cabela's, well, that's a little better. If I want to go to Cabela's, I'm not following him. I'm going to go do my own thing. Okay? So, common sense stuff. I got to know where he's going and I got to know, uh, I got to agree with where we're going. Okay, so it's the same thing. Same thing here. If if, if somebody's going to follow God, you got to know where He's going. You got to know what what He commands. You got to know what 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 the plan is. We got the plan, right here. Okay. You got to agree with the leader. When the leader lays out the plan as to what we're doing, where we're going, you got to say, okay, I'm doing that. I'm I'm following. If if he takes off and you go somewhere else, you're not following. You're leading your own little whatever. Okay, this is this is not hard. It's the conditions. You have to know where the leader's going. You have to agree with the leader. There's a qualifier here in the passage. It says, "Be therefore followers of God, as dear children, as dear children." He doesn't say be followers of God as children. Okay. Just think with me here. I mean, there's, there's, there are a lot of people that uh, are saved, but they don't live like it every day. There's some fruit, you know, where you could say, yeah, he's, he's probably saved, but they're not, they're not doing God's will to their potential. They're not, they're not, uh, uh, maybe not reading their Bible every day. You know, it's kind of sporadic. I'm, I'm always struggling with that. They're not getting victory in their life. Um, maybe they're not, they're, you know, they come to church sometimes, but they're not every time, not there every time the services, uh, the doors are open. Um, visitation comes. I mean, they're not, not really faithful visitation. You know, and it, you're just, just kind of going along, you know, doing what you need to do, but not excelling, not, not being all for God that you can be. You're a child of God, but you're not being the dear child that he, that he commands you to be. Uh, to be a, uh, I think of uh, as an example of this. Lot. If you just read the Old Testament account of Lot, and that's all you got, you really wouldn't know that he was saved, really. But it says in Second Peter two verse four that just Lot vexed his righteous soul from day to day. Hey, Lot's in heaven. But can you imagine all the sorrow that Lot was feeling when he when he when he arrived at the pearly gates? I'm here. Was his wife there? How about his daughters? He lost his family. So I mean, we can be we can be children of God. We can, you know, we can follow God, you know, somewhat. But we need to follow God as dear children, dear children. Uh, you know, somebody that, that's going to follow close by, somebody that's going to do what's right no matter what.
be all that we can be. So we're going to follow God. We're going to follow God. Um, we got to know where he's going. we got to agree with him. Uh, the qualifier is we got to be uh, following God as dear children. We also need to walk in love. Walk in love. See there in uh, verse number two. Walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Uh, the word here, love, there's a couple different uh, words that we translate into English as love from the Greek. Uh, this one is agape. Uh, the literal definition is brotherly love, affection, benevolence, uh, or goodwill. So it would be like the opposite of malevolence, right? Um, this, is, this is also used. Um, nope, I am getting ahead of myself. Let's look at the context real fast. So uh, the first part, verse 1, uh, he's really dealing with uh, the, uh, a battle in the mind, right? So if I'm going to to follow God, you've got to make a choice in your mind that, yes, that's what I'm going to do. To walk in love is really the physical manifestation of that decision that you made. I'm going to follow God, made a decision, now walk in love. And in the, ver in the first verse, it says, be therefore followers of God. Therefore is a, is a conjunctive word which ties it to the previous thought. Um, so in, in the previous passage, he, he really talks about what it looks like to walk in love. Uh, verses uh, 24 to 32, um, he says, wherefore, well, hold on, let me, get, let me read 24. And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. This is what a Christian is supposed to look like. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more. But rather let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Um, later on, we're going to look at a little bit of, uh, uh, you know, he, he ties us into how Christ lived. And I want to I run through this list. And I want to show you that um, Christ really did exemplify this in his life. Um, if you look at uh, the first part, it says, put away lying. Um, in in uh, John fourteen six, Jesus says, "I am the way, the truth, and the life." Not I speak the truth; He is the truth. Uh, sinless anger. Uh, when when uh, Jesus is driving out the money changers, you don't see him cursing and swearing, but he did what was right. He was angry that they had uh, taken his the house of worship and and made it a den of thieves. He he drove them out with a with a cord. I think it's, see, I have Mark 
3.5 written there. Let me see what that is. I think that's what that is. Let me get there real fast. No, this is the different passage. Um, so this is the man with a shriveled hand. And he saith unto them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days, or to do evil, to save a life, or to kill? But they held their peace. And when he had looked around upon, round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he saith unto the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. So Jesus is our example with, uh, uh, with anger. Be angry and sin not. Resist the devil. Uh, Matthew 4 uh, is the devil's temptation uh, to Jesus. You know, he, he appeals to uh, every sense of, of, of the body. Um, but uh, he resists the devil, just like it says here in uh, Neither Give Place to the Devil, uh, verse 27. Uh, verse 28 says, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands, the thing which is good. We don't have, know a lot about Jesus' life before uh, he started his ministry, but Jesus was a carpenter. Um, tradition says that Joseph died when uh, uh, Jesus uh, was, was fairly young, teenage years, uh, according to tradition. So, I mean, it's not Bible, but uh, that's what tradition says. Um, so Jesus was the oldest, so he's providing for his family. Um, so Jesus is our example in that as well. Good speech. Uh, it says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. First uh, Peter 2, 22 to 23. This is, I'm going to, I want everybody to turn there. This is a good one for everybody to see. First Peter 2, 22 to 23. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. So he's being persecuted, he's being uh, spit at, mocked, the God of heaven. Uh, and yet, there's no guile found in his mouth. But I'm going to look, uh, I'm going to hone in on this a little bit, because this is one I struggle with. Um... Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. So don't say anything that's, that's bad, that's, that's wrong, that would cause a brother to offend. But it gets worse. But that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may administer grace unto the hearers. How many of y'all do that perfectly all the time? Whew. That was tough. That was tough. I like to joke around, mess around, and that's fine. That's it has its place. Um, but at the same time, uh, it can go too far, and uh, that's just one thing. But and, and also, I got this uh, ego thing and pride, and uh, you know, it's easy to, like put down others, uh, stuff like that. So um, that's a tall order, but it's a commandment, right? It doesn't say let no corrupt community proceed out of your mouth but that which is good to the use of edifying if it's Tuesday uh, October the 9th at 7 no it doesn't say that yeah this is this is any time 
This is that which is good to the use of edifying that may minister grace unto the hearers. That's one I struggle with. Um, verse 30, we're to obey the Spirit and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed into the day of redemption. Uh, in, in John 8, 29, it said, God, Jesus said that I always do those things which please my Father. So we're to be obedient. Um, I'm, gonna go, I'm not going to go through all these, but there's um, the, the lesson of bitterness. Christ wasn't bitter. Um, wrath and anger and evil speaking. This is kind of like a summary of what he's already gone through somewhat. Uh, and be kind, um, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Think about Peter um, with, with how many times do I have got to forgive my brother for doing the same thing? Seven times in a day? No, 70 times seven. That's, that's what I think of when I see that. I say, Christ is our example of forgiveness. You can go down through this list. This is, you know, he compares, he compares us to walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. He did all these things. He fulfilled, he fulfilled this passage, uh, verses 24 to 32. He is, he is the ultimate example. So that's the context he's talking about. Um, let's look at the, the passage uh, of love, 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. Let's try to get a definition and a working idea of what he's talking about. If you, say, if you just throw out walk in love... May get a messed up idea of what that is. Um, we'll try to define that a little bit and get a, give you a good idea. The love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. He's worthless. He doesn't have charity. This is the same word, agape. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I'm nothing. All that stuff would be pretty impressive, but it's worthless. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. This is the one that we get the most messed up on in our, in our modern culture right here. If you, if you love somebody, you will accept them. You will accept their transgender lifestyle. You will accept that they're now a lesbian or whatever. No. It says, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. The truth is that God made you a specific gender, and you can't change that. The truth is uh, uh, that you're not to steal anymore, so quit stealing. Felony is not a, Being a felon is not okay. okay? Um, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. Whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether they be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Um, they're probably the, the best oration on charity, on, on love right there. Uh, it gives us a, a, a good idea of what he's talking about. Um, but also, then I want to look at, so we looked at the context. 
uh, of this walking in love. We looked at uh, the love passage, 1 Corinthians 13. And I want to look at the usage of this phrase, uh, to walk in love. It's interesting. Well, I'll get to that in a minute. I'm going to start reading some uh, passages here. The first one is in uh, Deuteronomy 12, 10, 12. Deuteronomy 10, 12, and it says, you don't have to turn there, I'll read it to you. And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul? Deuteronomy 11, 22. For if, he, for if ye shall diligently keep all these commandments which I command you to do them, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to cleave to him, Deuteronomy 19.9 If thou shalt keep all these commandments to do them which I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God and to walk ever in his ways then shalt thou add three sitters more for thee besides these three. 30.16 And that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God and to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments that thou mayest live and multiply, and the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. I'm going to skip a couple of these. Luke 20. I'm sorry. 2 John 1 6. Has nothing to do with Luke. And this is love that ye walk after his commandments. This is the commandment that as ye had heard from the beginning that ye should walk in it. So. Every time he talks about walking in love, what what also what also goes along with that? Keeping his commandments. Every one of those passages. If you're going to walk in love, you're going to keep his commandments. So we looked at the context. There's uh, Christ is our example in all those things in, in, in verses 24 to 32. We looked at First uh, Corinthians 13. We looked at the usage of this phrase, to walk in love, all throughout the Bible, and it's all about keeping his commandments. Uh, and, and uh, yeah, it's important. Okay, so, uh, so our last point under this, walking in love, I want to look at a little bit more at Christ's demonstration of walking in love. Uh, so, so you know, we started out with uh, being followers of God, making that that mental decision uh, that we're going to follow God. Let me go through this. Um, there's conditions to that. Uh, there's a qualifier to that. We're supposed to be dear children. Second point is we're going to walk in love. We try to define that. I try to define that a little bit. And then the demonstrations, the definition. Now the demonstration. Christ's sacrifice for sin. Christ's sacrifice for sin is the ultimate demonstration of walking in love. As Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Um, I never really thought of this uh, in, the, in the context of this until I started studying for this passage. Um, never thought about it in depth. I mean, I've heard it preached a couple times, but um, 
It was the will of the Father that Christ go to the cross. So, Jesus is God, and, and God is the Holy Spirit, and, and they all have, uh, they're all part of the Godhead, and they have, they have a plan. They, uh, they all work together. If you looked in the Old Testament, it's always talking about let us go. It's not like God's planning something, the Holy Spirit's planning something, and Jesus is planning something. They come together, and they have like a corporate meeting, and they decide what they're going to do. Okay? They all know what's going on. But in this, Jesus obeyed his Father. Remember when, uh, I'm trying to stay right here. Um, you remember when uh, Jesus was praying there in the garden, and, and he, he, he asked, um, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. As he's thinking about all the, all the suffering, all the affliction, he knows what's going to happen. He's struggling with that. He was struggling with that. But ultimately, he, he was obedient to the God's will. To God's will. And he's our ultimate example. Um, he, he laid down his life. You know, we, we may not be, uh, we're not called uh, necessarily to lay down our lives. We're just called to be obedient to his commandments. Jesus' commandment was, go be crucified. Uh, at that time, the, the most painful death possible. Uh, hang there for hours in agony. Bear the sin of all mankind up to that point and all mankind in the future and be cut off from God. That's a heavy load. That's a tall order. We're not called to do that. All we got to do is keep his commandments. And it says, uh, Jesus said in, um, in his ministry, and I'm sorry I don't have the reference, but he said his commandments are not grievous. Paul said in uh, Romans 12, um, this is your reasonable service. This makes sense. We got it easy. Especially now, we live in America. We're free. We're not under the, under the uh, threat of persecution. We're not running for our lives. It's pretty simple. It's pretty simple. So not only was he obedient to his father's commandments, but his obedience brought God pleasure. It says there, and give himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. God was pleased. Memorize, we memorized Isaiah 53. You read about his torment. You read about his anguish. And it says, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. That was, that was God's plan since the beginning of mankind to do that, to, to offer his only son for the sin that Adam started and all of us participate in. And he was obedient to it. And the pleasure of the Lord prospered in his hand. Christ is our example. He was obedient and his obedience brought God pleasure. Church, we can do the same. This isn't just um, keeping the commandments and the rules just to keep the commandments and the rules because I'm a Christian. It's not 
I keep the commandments and the rules, and I do the commandments and the rules because everybody will look at me like I'm big something, and I can show up to church on uh, Sunday with my suit and uh, look all spiffy, and everybody will look up to me in society, and I'll be something. This is all to bring pleasure and glory to God. It's amazing that we can, we can do that. A sinful man can, can bring pleasure to God. That's what it's all about. Bring glory to him. So just as Jesus brought pleasure to God with his obedience, we can do the same. Now I take you back to the introduction. The Ephesians were very depraved people. Their culture was very messed up. But Paul commanded them to do this just as we're commanded to do this. We can do this because we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Um, most of us probably in this room have been brought up in a Christian home. We know what's right. And many times we fall short of just keeping his commandments. Of being followers as dear children. Guys, it's not it's not complicated. We have the Holy Spirit So let's do it. Let's walk as dear children. Let's pray.